Et voici la couleur. <rire> Bonjour. Hello. <coughs> This is Camille. And how are you, Devin? I'm doing pretty good. And welcome back, everyone, to Transatlantic Confusion, the show where two best friends across the pond talk about whatever they want to in an effort to try and understand and interact with the world around them. Welcome back, everyone. It's nice to be back. Yes, and just to give a little bit of context, <laughs> <laughs> Voici la couleur was this very famous sentence that was said in this video. I sent it to Devin because, I don't know, my mom and I were talking about it and it brought back some memories, I guess. But uh, it's when the TV in France turned from black and white to color. And it was on the 1st of October, 1967. And you have this video of these four men in their suits just looking like they're going to a funeral or something they're so serious because obviously back in the day tv was considered like this very very serious media and um so they're just standing around and all of a sudden the picture goes from black and white to color and the man in the middle just very solemnly says et voici la couleur <laughs> meaning literally <laughs> and here it is color <laughs> And then literally, <laughs> the screen turns into color. <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's hilarious nowadays, but goodness gracious, I can imagine people watching this live and just, you know, all of a sudden their suits are turning all sorts of shades of blue and gray and black. And it's just, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's but that, that sentence, man. My favorite thing about those videos is not only that, but apparently French TV stations used to have a beginning and an end every day. They didn't just go on a 24-hour loop. So Camille sent me the videos <laughs> of both the beginning and the end of the day's broadcast. And it's like really somber, kind of like weird oboe music as like the sun's rising in a cartoon. But not only that, there are fat little men in suits who are flying around like pigeons and i i lost my <laughs> shit but i'm also kind of like why why not just do birds it's literally like <laughs> little little men in suits like out of tintin flying around <laughs> oh that's such an insult to tintin you're angering my belgian heart no but it's just the thing well, is the <laughs> The artist was named Folon, if I remember this well. And um, yeah, like Devin said, it's really like, you know, you would turn your TV on and there was nothing. And then there would be just basically starting and ending credits to the channel. And the channel at the time for this one specific, you know, video was uh, Antenne 2, which is now, well, it's the second channel, basically. You know, at the time you probably had just two or three channels. Um And really, yeah, it's just a cartoon and you can't really see their faces. They have tiny, tiny heads and long arms and they're just flying around and you have all sorts of round color things like planets or something. And this music that's basically like, it's like really weird. And then you have this huge two that just comes up all in like oranges and reds and it just says, Antenne 2. 
it is a trip. I loved it. Out of context, it is so funny. Also, <laughs> it's not an insult to Tintin. I adore Tintin. I was thinking of like Dupont et Dupont, where there's oh, yeah. like two little guys in suits, and but instead they're flying around <laughs> with like weird well, overstretched wings. And I just, I just felt bad because the reason I discovered this was my mom and I were playing Trivial Pursuit, and it's a Trivial Pursuit from the '90s. So there's a lot of references that I don't get, and a lot of things that make her feel nostalgic. And so I guess I had asked her a question about something about art. And she had answered Folon. And I was like, who even is this? I think the answer was like Picasso. So I looked at her like she was crazy. Like, who is this Folon guy? <laughs> like, I've never heard of him. And she was like, oh, no, look it up on YouTube. It's like, it makes me so nostalgic. I remember watching this when I was a kid with like the men flying around on the screen. And I was like laughing so hard. I was crying, which doesn't happen very often. And it like my stomach hurt so bad. And I just couldn't stop watching it. And she kept staring at me like I was being so mean for just disqualifying her experience as a young person. But like, come on, you can't expect <laughs> me to stay serious. I mean, yeah, but it just, I guess it just goes to show like how much technology has changed in that really entitled um, millennial Gen Z type of way. Yeah. Like, wow, we live in a society. Also, another thing about <laughs> it, I'm stuck on this Tintin thing because I'm realizing just how much I love Tintin. And of course, I don't know why I haven't talked about it with you before. Um, the translation of Dupont and Dupont's name into English is genius it's thompson and thompson that is great <laughs> <laughs> one with a p and one with no p is that it yeah and that <laughs> makes so much sense <laughs> yeah oh my god i remember watching tintin when i was a kid well i had a hard time reading it because the comics are just full-on just I mean, it might as well be a book with just a couple of pictures in it. When you I mean, remember, they are. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the bubbles take all the space in the comic um, mm -hmm. compared to some other ones where it's just way more like focused on the actual drawings, and it's just lines and lines and lines and lines and lines of text and small text. So I never really like was able to really get into the comics, but I remember the um, animated series, and they still played on TV here. Uh, so there's sometimes I'll be changing channels and I'll, you know, see it in the music makes me all like feel like I'm, you know, 10 again. Um, not to lie, a few of the comics are very problematic. Oh, yeah. But also that also oh, yeah. applies to Asterix and Obelix. I was telling you about it where I found this in uh, French class, but I watch it every Christmas now. It is... Um, Les deux travails d'Asterix et Obelix, or like the 12 labors of Asterix and Obelix, where they go against Julius yeah. Caesar and they have to prove that they're gods so that mm -hmm. they don't get um, conquered by Invaded. the Romans. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's really funny. I want to do that really annoying thing that's also valid, where it's like it's a product of its time from like the late 1960s, early 1970s. So there are things that are problematic. But again, it's also not like as problematic as it could be. For instance, I remember there's this one scene where they had to do like a javelin contest with like the world's best javelin thrower. And so there's this scene where he throws it so far it ends up in the new world in like North America. And then you see this Native American chief stand up and his like feather headdress perks up like a peacock and he goes, C'est la guerre! And I'm like, oh no! 
I forgot about oh, no, that. That's not good. <laughs> that is not good. Yeah, so, yeah. No, I'm thinking. I'm thinking more like uh, Tintin is really well. You, it makes sense knowing it's Belgian because Belgium invaded uh, Congo, right? Oh yeah, that was called Congo at at the time, um, and there is an entire comic book of Tintin written of Tintin and Congo and it is so wrong Ugh. it is so wrong well. and uh, <laughs> it's just so weird and you also have like you know you'll have um, Asian characters depicted really in just very racist ways so mm-hmm. I don't know man I think in terms of the animation they've probably pulled these episodes because I've never seen them on TV or at least not in a very long time. Uh, so they must be aware of it. But in terms of the books, I have no idea. I haven't, I haven't really done research on it, but I certainly don't want to read them anymore <laughs> now. Yeah. I mean, I don't really have access to any of these books. I've seen like the cartoons when they posted, when they've been posted on YouTube. I do want to say mm-hmm. it's a lot like the conversation we're all having apparently about Dr. Seuss. I never really read Dr. Seuss. I have one book of Dr. Seuss and it was given to me when I left a job. And I was like, Wait. oh, all the places you'll go. It was when I left the daycare center where I worked at. Oh, um, yeah. That was yeah. sweet. So, yeah, so they gave that to me and it was the first time I really read a Dr. Seuss book. Obviously, it's not a big thing in Europe. Oh, I'm, I'm realizing, look, listening back, I, I clear my throat a lot, guys. Um, and say, um, really working on that. But I thought I would address that directly. No one's commented on it. I've commented on it. So there you go. Um, yeah, yeah. Through editing, I have let you know. <laughs> yeah. I have told you. Yeah. You have. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't say it for you specifically. I said for both of us where I was like, oh, my goodness, Devin. I've never realized how much we both go uh and mm a lot mm-hmm. until I was editing. And I had to edit two seconds at a time. So... Yeah, but I've given up on that. To be honest, that's why you'll still hear it in episodes because otherwise it just takes five, six hours, and I don't have that kind of time. Because I am difficult. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <sighs> so, anyways, how how was your week, Devin? How are well, you? I'm actually doing pretty great. My the second half of my week was really nice. I kind of floated through it. I was super productive at work. I got a good number of hours in. So that's always really satisfying. And then I've had some really relaxing evenings and just been like journaling and writing. So that's been nice. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Hmm. Well, Devin, I'm uh, I'm in a food coma again. Oh, lucky. Tell me about it. <laughs> and then also tell me about your week because I love hearing about your week. Okay. Well, my entire day was filled with food. So I got up really, really late because I went to bed really, really late. So late. It's basically early morning. And um, <laughs> what were you doing staying up so late, Camille? You told me about this already, but I want our dear podcast I was, to hear. I was, I was re-watching Lost. <laughs> <laughs> For the second time, might I add. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Lost is a show from 2004. Four, oh, they know. Think, with like six or seven seasons and you probably have heard about it because it has the most confusing ending 
in the history of TV shows, probably. And people were really involved in the show. And then there was this whole, there is an entire podcast that is like currently live on, on uh, platforms where they are basically doing one episode per episode of Lost. Rewatching the entire thing. I was going to say, is that your new pitch for what we should be doing on our podcast? <laughs> no, no, because it's already been taken and gotcha. I don't want to, you know, and apparently the, the guys doing it are, are really funny. I haven't really given it a listen yet, but uh, I know it exists. I would have to find the title again. But no, so there's like this following, I would say, for Lust. The thing is, when it came out, I was I was too young to understand. So I didn't get it. So now I do get it, but I don't get it because it's so confusing. I have definitely heard that. <clears throat> I have not watched it, mostly because I've heard that it is so effing confusing. But I did see a really funny tweet that made me think of you, where it was, you know you've been in quarantine for too long when you start looking at the island from Lost as a nice place to go visit. <laughs> it does. It does. <laughs> I rewatched the first five episodes yesterday. Well, a few things to like, note is that first of all i'm a terrible flyer not a terrible flyer like you know the person who removes their shoes or brings like a two-year-old on a flight no i'm talking like i hate flying i'm so scared of planes um i'm just terrified of of flying and so the first episode with that plane crash i was just like well <laughs> there goes my phobia and um <laughs> and i think like i think i had seen it when it came out when I was so young and it probably kind of impacted my fear of flying too because that scene of the crash uh, is pretty like I mean the plane splits into three Devin (laughs) well I wanted to say speaking of things that we've been doing during quarantine uh, I did want to take some space for this episode and kind of not celebrate but commemorate the fact that it's kind of our COVID-versary this was this past week, but specifically today, the thirteenth, was the was the definitive space of time in which uh, my life kind of got turned upside down by COVID. I remember very specifically the last normal day that I had was last March thirteenth, which was also Friday the thirteenth, and that's been a running joke ever since then. But yeah, uh, wanted to wanted to throw that out there. Also kind of thankful for it in some ways um in as much as you can be considering the unprecedented tragedy this is but we kind of stepped up talking to each other a lot more often me and camille Mm -hmm. and that led to this podcast which i'm super thankful for but yeah that's my that's my sappy little bit about that i guess no, but you're you're right. I mean, we've all been through a lot in the past year. Um, I know you and I have had different experiences with it. And um, like, you know, it's just, I mean, at least we haven't lost anybody, which we can be very grateful about, because I know that so many people, unfortunately, had to go through that. Um, yeah. And that might just be very tough to not be able to see your loved ones as they go. So, um, no, it's just, it's, it's, but I can't believe it's been a year is the thing. I mean, it's, I did not see the year go by and it's like kind of scary because I feel like I've lost a year of my life in a weird way. I was just finishing up the first week of my new job. Uh, also, I remember it was Super Tuesday, so the the Democratic primaries were still going on, so I was preoccupied with that. 
And then I remember, not to be too dark, I remember sitting at my desk as this was all happening, listening to or seeing Trump's first like uh, briefing about it on TV. And I thought, this man, <laughs> this man is going to wreck our economy again. <laughs> yeah, well... The financial crisis is going to be following us for years. Um, I've reached a point in France where I was just like, okay, lock us down or don't lock us down. But either way, the economy is fucked at this point. Like this has been going on for too long. It's going to take forever to recover. We have millions unemployed. Yeah, just come on. You know, at this point, it's not about saving the economy or saving lives anymore. It's simply about saving lives. Mm-hmm. because that's it the money's gone okay like and i don't know i just i kind of got pissed that it would you know still be a, some sort of a difficult choice for them to make a year after but <clears throat> well i agree but you know we also have had very different political experiences i guess to that because i'm surprised by how difficult it's been at least in europe to handle it especially since I'm going to say it coming from a country that does not have developed social services in the same way that Europe has. It is so crazy to me just how much of a how much of a process or how much of a um I'm trying to find the right word. How much of a battle it's been to kind of like use that social service and that social system to like help save lives in a way. Because here in the United States not only do we have to have the whole argument about you know, whether or not it's worth saving these lives in the first place, which is messed up, and I'm never really going to forget that. But also, we mm-hmm. kind of have to create these social safety nets as they're being um, as they're being used and as they're being frayed to such a degree, because, spoiler alert, the American unemployment system is never prepared to have this many people un- unemployed at once. Uh, and not only that, but we don't have universal health care. And we don't have like maternity leave protections for children and for schools. So, you know, that's also why to kind of, I guess, tie it in. The stimulus passing in this past week has also been a really big deal over here. And I'm the type of person, as I'm sure everyone who's been listening knows, who will go into a subject in depth. So not only is it like, oh, we get another round of $1,400 stimulus checks and extended unemployment. This bill is huge. It will, it, it, it has the potential to cut poverty in the United States in half. It, it'll, it's, it might actually jumpstart our economy, which is crazy to think about how a year into this, this is something that might actually happen. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. I, <clears throat> I have to say, I know you've explained it to me, but I, I'm not quite sure of all the details, you know? I just, mm-hmm. I know about the checks, obviously, but um, that's about that's about it. You know, well, I saw Pelosi and Schumer signing their, Yeah, it, doing their and, victory lap. <laughs> oh, yeah, they were very happy, um, for good reason. Mm-hmm. But I guess what I'm seeing a lot online is just people are really mad at Republicans. Oh, which yeah. I am totally on board with. Me too. Not to be too political, but also it's my it's our podcast. 
Um, this bill passed with absolutely no Republican votes, and there was a Republican senator who was trying to like talk to his constituents on Twitter, being like, "And this bill will also help you guys out." And then everyone sprang to, "But you didn't vote for it. You voted no mm -hmm. on this." But yeah, to kind mm -hmm. of I guess explain myself, it's extended unemployment, three hundred dollars a month on top of what you're already getting, or a week, I should say. <clears throat> $1,400 stimulus checks, which plus the 16, the 600 that was sent out at the beginning of the year will total to 2,000. Uh, renters assistance, mortgage assistance, small business loans, and support. Uh, it is the single largest investment in tribal governments and tribal groupings in the United States in U.S. history. It's billions for local state governments, for state, for local organizations and also for schools. It also expands the child, the child tax credits to where conceivably a mother of four would see a rebate or a like return on her taxes of $3,000 each, like per kid. Um, there, wow. Yeah, so it's huge. Not to like, that's not what this podcast is about, but I did really want to bring it up because I think it shows the I'm going to use it as an example of how I think things are going to start getting better. Yeah, I guess I guess we'll just have to wait and see, but that's that's a good start. I mean, mm -hmm. and I don't I don't know. I just I think it's it's good. It's good. Mm -hmm. But I never got to tell you what I ate. Oh, People I'm want to so hear about my food sorry. coma. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Please tell me all about your lovely food coma. Uh, listen, so when I got up, I made myself instant ramen, but I have uh, an advice, completely unsolicited, I know, but I have <laughs> advice to give to our listeners. If ever you make instant ramen, great. But, you know, spice it up a little bit. Add some shit to it. Like, I add, personally, I, I go to the Asian market, which is not like when I was living in Washington, I could just drive to the other side of town and find Asian markets like over here I have to travel for like 45 minutes to an hour in the subway so you know bringing back groceries is a lot of fun but anyways you know you just go and you buy mushrooms and you can get like seaweed toppings and stuff like that um, that's what I add to mine I add an egg also a fried egg on top of it also my ramen bowls are goddamn huge they're just so big and I ate that for like some weird brunch and it was very spicy, so it gave me a stomachache for the rest of the day because that was the first thing I ate, so that was not a good idea. I ate all day. I mean, <clears throat> you say that like it's a bad thing. I mean, isn't that what the weekend's for? I'm I'm kidding, but also, like, I love eating. I, I, I realized that the other day. It's like, I have the real potential to be, like, a glutton. <laughs> Oh, I mean, I, I've realized that too. Is That's also another thing from COVID where I was like, you know what? I actually really enjoy food. Mm -hmm. And because I kept seeing people talking about, what was it, like the quarantine 15? And I was like, fuck this. If I want to eat, like this is such like an anxious time and like nothing's going right and we're all stuck at home. If you can at least you know, have some food in your fridge and find ways to enjoy it and take some time for yourself while you eat. Like, you do you. <laughs> like, I had a, I had someone once look at me like and be like, well, I don't want to be mean, but you've gained some weight. And I was like, bitch? <laughs> like, 
if I'm comfy, I'm comfy. <laughs> like it's my money and my belly, so I'll do what I want with it. It's my um, money and I'll eat it now. <laughs> yeah. Just coins. Just trade up coins and no, but like I just, I don't know, we have some good restaurants around the office, and then whenever I did go to the office, you know, fuck it, if I want some, you know, to order like three different sushi menus, and I have the money for it, and I have no regrets, then I'm gonna freaking eat it. Yeah, good for you. Also, yeah. I want to point out mm-hmm. that the way, the way you mundanely pointed out, yeah, we have some good restaurants around the office, and by that she means, yeah, there's some good restaurants in Paris, in the office that I work at, in the middle of the city. <laughs> so you know, <laughs> it's not, it's not as like fancy and romantic as you make it sound. It's I'm really, I'm close to a train station. That's like the one marker people might know. Um, <clears throat> But there's like three or four different train stations in Paris. So okay. But I mean, I'm not, I'm not like close to the Eiffel Tower or some shit that people might recognize. the The sidewalks are too small. You keep having to walk on the street. Everything is dirty. And yeah, there are some good restaurants. And if there weren't, the whole neighborhood would be pretty boring and useless, in my opinion. So valid. I want to point out a couple things. <laughs> You make a good point, but also I feel like of the one stereotype that there is about French people, I feel like the one that actually has any degree of truth to it is the fact that French people know how to eat good food. And I don't think that's something that's bad. Also, not to be that person, I don't think people realize just how tiny Paris is compared to other global capitals. Like the whole city is like 20 square miles. Which, you know, 20 square miles, but that's not very big. That's like on par with Washington, D.C., and D.C. is a tiny city. So there you go. There's my two cents. Oh, yeah. No, it's, <laughs> it's true. I remember the last time uh, the last time uh, an American friend visited me. Well, that was a long time ago, now that I think back on it. But, um, yeah, I was, like, making a plan because I never visit Paris. You know how it is. You live in a big city, but you don't even know the big city because you don't go visit everything mm-hmm. that people come to see. Um, so I have that big time with Paris. And um, it was like, okay, so let's make a plan. So today we can go see the Arc de Triomphe and then we can go and take the subway and go to the Eiffel Tower, spend some time there. Don't go in there because it's so expensive and it's, you know, meh. Um, <laughs> way, way better looking from the outside. If you want a good view of Paris. Yeah, if you want a good view of Paris, what you have to do is go on top of the Arc de Triomphe because then you have a beautiful view of Paris and in your pictures, there will be the Eiffel Tower. Wait. Which is the whole point. Wait, I have something to add. I have also heard that the actual best place to get photos of Paris is you go to the top of the Tour Montparnasse because that is the only place in Paris where you can't fucking see the Tour Montparnasse and you can see the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, the Montparnasse <laughs> is a bit of a of a weird building to just be sticking out of the landscape. It's just this big. Yeah, it's just this big black tower. That's just it. It's just a black rectangle, and it's like, what? But they're going to be redoing it. Oh, thank God. Yeah, and it's going to be all like eco friendly with a bunch of trees all over inside the tower and gardens and stuff. Will it be uh, I think it's going to look way better. Well, I think so. It won't be like a 
like blob anymore, like boom, right next to the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. For those who are confused about that, please Google it. And not only that, it's part of the reason, and I would argue maybe part of the main reason, why skyscrapers are banned within Paris proper. Speaking of those types of things, and also kind of, I guess, bringing us back to COVID, there was one thing I did want to talk to you about today, which I thought would be really cool. We touched on Germany a little bit, I think, in our last episode. Um, But because of COVID, and this is where my linguistic brain, my linguistic nerd comes out, (laughs) there are so many new words in the German language specifically related to COVID. And I also kind of want to give some background to that. German is a really interesting language. It is the main Germanic language, I would argue, besides English. But because of how its grammar works, you can like make compound words, and it's just a feature of how the grammar of the language works. And by grammar, I don't mean like style, but like how it's understood and how people communicate with it. So you can like put two words together, and it becomes its own word, but it's also kind of not its own word in that way. It's like Legos. You can make like a thing out of it. It's like you can still see the the bits of it, even though its own it's its own thing. But that's happened a lot with COVID. And what's interesting about it is that on average, about 200 new words are added into German every year through normal linguistic processes like slang and cultural things. But this year, because of COVID, more than 1,200 new words have been added. So I wanted to kind of go through some of them with you, Camille, because I know that you took a lot of German in school. I tried with it but I am a terminal English speaker when it comes to other Germanic languages. Like I tried learning Swedish. I tried learning Dutch. It didn't go that well. <laughs> like I'm much more, I'm much more able to handle the romantic languages. <laughs> but yeah, I wanted to go through some of these words with you because the Leibniz Institute for the German language compiled all of them. And some of them look like they're funny. And uh, also some of them feel very relatable. Uh, also, for instance, like German is that one language that people on the internet will also pull up words from as though it's so deep, like Weltschmerz. It means world weariness or uh, Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude is my favorite German word. Right up there. What does it mean? Uh, it's the, uh, <laughs> the petty joy you get from seeing other people suffer. So, you know, my second favorite German word is uh, Kummerspeck which means grief bacon. <laughs> oh my God. And it's like that feeling of guilt, I think, when you eat too much or you're like you're upset, so you take it out with eating. So I feel like you just got a really sad psychological insight to me, but we're going to move past that, everyone, and look at some German words. <laughs> but the first one is... Oh, here we go. Aufersund, <laughs> which, like, overzoomed. Uh, stressed by too much video calls or by too many video calls. Infinite envy of those who have been vaccinated, which uh, is becoming a really big thing here, I guess, because vaccines are getting more and more available. I like the one. I like the one here, Maskentrotel, which means mask idiot, and I feel like that should be the name of at least an album or my uh, best-selling memoir of the time of Corona right up there with love in the time of Corona. It's very derivative, I know, but... The one crazy thing, right, is in France, well, I should say in French, it's a very gendered 
language. So we we have male or female words. So it's like the sun is male, but the moon is female. So for a long time with COVID, the Académie Française, I think, uh, oh. I think it was them. They were it arguing. Would be them. <laughs> yeah, they were arguing whether it was going to be le COVID, so male, or la COVID, female. Now, everybody had been saying le COVID this whole time. But of course, what did they decide? That it would be la, la COVID. <laughs> because they just don't like women. But <laughs> basically... Honestly? Um, <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's talk about it another day. But... Um, yeah, it will be a whole episode. Really, oh, yeah. It's just really weird to me that that was a debate in France. But meanwhile, in Germany, they were like creating like thousands of new words. I love it. Yeah. It's like we don't have time to figure out if it's like le, la, whatever. No. Up 1,200 new words. Let's go. Well, it's also that thing where having studied linguistics, it is entirely impossible to regulate a language. And anyone who's like, well, I speak only pure English is like, no, you're talking out of your ass. Like, get over yourself. That's my <laughs> hot take on that. So I think yeah. it's really cool because one thing this article talks about is Dr. Christine Moores, who works at the Institute and helped compile the words. And she says that the this whole project has told the story of the pandemic as well, which is really fascinating because you also not only do you have like the corona angst and the overzoomed and the uh, abstinence beers of them all but you also have words for like uh i count scheffler which can be used to describe someone who helps others with their shopping which is really sweet because i know that a lot of people have had a lot of anxiety going to the grocery store but mm -hmm. i think my favorite term to come out of all of this and i think it's one that can be applied to a lot of people unfortunately um is Covidiot, which became popular in the UK, <laughs> but it also was added to the German list. <laughs> oh. But that's also something I love about German is that you can say a whole sentence worth of communication, but pack it into one word. Does it save you oh. time? God, no, but it's so cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't remember how long the longest word in German is, but it's like something crazy like 60 letters in one word i'm gonna look it up <laughs> so i cannot say this word and i i'm gonna be generous and say i do not think you can say this word either but it is 80 letters long it is the longest word oh, ever wow. composed in german and its translation is <clears throat> association for subordinate officials at the head office management of the danube steamboat electrical services wait what yeah Association for Subordinate Officials of the Head Office Management of the Danube Steamboat Electrical Services, which is not only the longest German word, one of the most German things to organize something <laughs> I have ever heard. <laughs> it's basically just a, a word for the name of an association that takes care of the Danube River? Well, the Danube Steamboat Electric Services, like electricians oh and steamboats. <laughs> Whoa. I love it. Yeah, I love they, it so they much. had to be very specific with it, I guess. But apparently, like, the nature of it is, is that these things go out of, like, they go in and out of the language at the same time because it's like 
a word that describes association can change, I guess. So like, we make a big deal out of it in English, I, I guess, because we don't have as many like grammatical things that we can do, even though we kind of do. Mm -hmm. But you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like how we can say words together that means things separately on their own. But then when we put them together to form an idea, they became it, the words themselves just become part of the idea. If that makes sense. You've completely lost me. Okay, so it's kind of like how uh, President of France, each of those words mean their own thing, but the mm -hmm. idea of it becomes its own set of ideas, like its own idea. So you can't just say President of without also saying President of France. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can't I'm explaining it. Yeah. it very poorly. I guess they're going to be having a lot of fun in uh, German classes teaching these to the kids. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, if I, I were a German teacher, I would be having a ball right now. I mean, did you have fun taking German in school? Absolutely not. That's exactly <laughs> why. That's exactly why I don't speak it. Uh, my teachers were changing every year, so they would all start the curriculum wherever they freaking wanted. So we were completely lost and. I mean, German has a lot of rules in it. So if nobody teaches them to you the right way and takes the time to make sure that you've understood them, there is no way you'll ever know how to write or speak the language. Mm -hmm. And that's the issue that I had. So when I moved to the States for high school and they told me I could pick my classes, what I did was I decided to take German level one to try and get back the basics of it. Um, but problem is I still remember too much of my classes in France and though the class was too easy in the States and it didn't teach me much more. So that'll do it. I mean, I don't remember that much from say my French classes because I I've been taking and studying French much longer than I have Spanish, even though my Spanish grammar is better. Go figure. Um, <laughs> but, and I think that's a good thing because I can still speak French pretty well, not perfectly, but. I think that means if I don't have to like struggle to remember things like gr like grammar and like little words like that, I think that's a success. But I do remember a lot of like cultural things. Like I think I still have Aux Champs Elysees memorized. <gasps> oh my oh, lord, we have to sing it every year. Ba -da, ba -da -da. Ba -da -bum. Oh my god, I can't stand that song anymore because we had to learn it and sing it every year. So heads or up. Or at least that's what it felt like. Yeah. So heads up, I will definitely be singing that song ad nauseum if and when we ever get to go to the Champs-Élysées together. And I think you're just going to have to enjoy it. <laughs> No, you know, that's uh, that's fine. I'll just uh, leave you there and take an Uber home. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to buy an Uber no. in, <laughs> on the Champs-Élysées. Oh, yeah. No, uh, mm, yeah, I've done it before. Have I? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. But uh, no, no, it's fine. It's definitely not cliche at all. And I'm sure you'll be the very first person to do so. I mean, here's the thing. I don't care if I'm the first person to do it. I love <laughs> cliches sometimes because sometimes it just transcends cliche and becomes like tradition. Like 
I, of course, am going to also hum to myself La Vie en Rose sometimes in Paris because it's La Vie en Rose and you can't get annoyed about it. Well, if at least there's one song that you could learn for when you come over and that's Josephine Baker's J'ai deux amours. Oh, yeah. I love Josephine Baker. Oh, yeah. You know, J'ai deux amours, mon pays est Paris. Goodness, I've seen a documentary about her. I didn't know that much about her. So it was super interesting. And I walked away from it being extremely pissed off. Yeah, she got the short end of the stick. She just, my goodness. Like, she did so much in the resistance. Um, I didn't know she was in the French military. Like, she did so much, help people get away from the Nazi regime and the occupation in France, stuff like that. And she's buried in Monaco instead of being in like some fancy pantheon or whatever in uh, in France. And I walked away from it and I was really like kind of like wanting to cry. And my mother was like, what's wrong? And I was like, I bet you if she had been white, she wouldn't fucking be buried there. And I was so mad. So, yeah, well, that's also the thing I love about her. She is so unapologetically black. And that is so great. Like she left America to get away from like Jim Crow and all of that. And she forged her own path as like a successful black performer during Les Années Folles in Paris. Um, But she also like proved her her love of France during World War II. Like, I looked it up. She has the Resistance Medal awarded by the French Committee of National Liberation, Le Croix de Guerre, and she's a mm-hmm. Chevalier of the Légion d'Honneur. So that's Which pretty is the highest great. honor you can get in France. Yeah. She also, like, contributed to the U.S. Civil Rights Movement. So, like, if you take anything away from this podcast episode, know that German is interesting, Josephine Baker is an absolute bamf, and we're so tired of COVID. But, you know, aren't we all yeah but definitely if you haven't heard much about her please go look her up um she adopted like 12 children all from different races and ethnicities and countries Mm -hmm. um to try and not only adopt them because obviously she loved them but also to prove to the world that people could live together in harmony and she called them their rainbow family Mm -hmm. um so she's just amazing woman who went through some real tough shit but yeah did a lot of great work and literally worked until the day she died because she died right after one of her concerts, like the next morning. She was also LGBT. So that's also something to throw out there. Yeah. But yeah, I, she I, was with Colette. I I had this moment. I'm sorry. I'm like, I was watching the documentary with my mother and I kind of forgot that my mother was there for some reason. And they showed a picture of Colette, who was one of Josephine Baker's lovers at some point. And I just went, damn, well, I wouldn't have resisted either. (laughs) (laughs) Like, she can come see me any day. And my mom didn't say anything, but I'm sure she must have been like, what the fuck is she talking about? But yeah, no, oh, that picture of Colette, I was like, hello, how you doing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anyways, well, um, oh, I want to ask you this just really quick in terms of linguistics. Is it true that anyways is wrong and it's actually anyway? I don't know, and I don't care. And that's the true linguistic okay. answer. I think as long as it makes <laughs> sense to you, use whichever one feels better. Because I keep saying anyways, and then I think back on people being like, it's like saying Barnes and Nobles. It's not that. It's, like, it's not anyways. It's anyway. And I just, I can't take it out of my Who cares? I think, I think either are fine. Anyway or anyways, both make sense to me. Um, 
I do want to end the episode on a cultural question, and I think this would be a fun thing to keep doing. Um, so, which do you think is better, uh, or which one? Which one is your favorite? Pancakes, crepes, or waffles? Why are you doing this to me? I know. So I'd love to hear your answer. We can wait till the next episode if you want to give me your answer. No, no, I don't need that long to think. I'm just trying to figure out which country I like best. <laughs> Pancakes out. Uh, crepes are fine, but I find them too hard to make. And waffles in Belgium are like amazing. So I'm going to go waffles. I'm going to go waffles too, both because Belgian waffles are amazing and also because even here where I'm at, I, I think I prefer toaster waffles over like the effort of making pancakes. But, you know, audience, if you have an answer, we would also love to hear it. So, you know, that's... Yeah, and also let us of. know what... Let us know what toppings you use, because if, for example, you answer crepes, that's cool. But did you know they were sugary and savory crepes? Like, I, I don't want to know. Like, I thought a savory one was called a galette. No. Oh. What am I thinking of? Bam. <laughs> <laughs> no. <it's, laughs> no. I think, yeah, they might be called galette in some regions. I have no idea. But I know that every time I have a savory crepe, it's just called crepe. It's just that you know it's going to be savory because it's written it's going to be with ham and cheese for example and you're like yeah okay that definitely won't taste like nutella <laughs> <laughs> so but yeah send us uh send us your answers and your comments and as usual we are more than uh uh okay with the uh, feedback and ideas of subjects you'd like us to cover uh please feel free to leave us a review on apple Podcasts. and uh devin where can they find you if you would like to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter at devmoncada, D-E-V underscore M-O-N-C-A-D-A. And of course, you can also follow us, Transatlantic Confusion, on Instagram, which is the main social media that we use right now to announce episodes and things like that, at Podcast Transatlantic. Yep, and for me, it's going to be at confused underscore Camille, and I regret to inform you, I still haven't posted anything on there. That's okay. It's going to become a weekly. It's going to become a weekly thing. Every week, I'm like, I'm going to post something. Viewers, listeners, Devin, you're my witness, and and then I don't do it. I'm calling it now. <laughs> we'll make it a bet. If you if you don't post on Instagram. Uh, you have to buy me lunch when I come visit you. <laughs> well, but no, because I'll buy you lunch anyways. Well, you don't think I'm going to buy you lunch a few times? No, that's forbidden. Hmm. I'm your host. I think I win out of any scenario that this is offered in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, we'll, we'll see. But... Yeah, I'll 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 just keep trying to post something. I just have to find out how I can share and repost things. So, folks, wish me good luck uh, as eighty-five-year-old Camille tries to understand social media. Yep. <laughs> but with that, uh, <laughs> thank you so much for listening, everyone. We hope you had fun, and see you next time. 
Bye bye. Au revoir. À bientôt.